So back in 2020, I, Steven Schinder, started a podcast called Delayed Replay, recapping and reviewing the latest films. However, it got broadcast into an alternate universe, where those films got delayed and came out differently from how I was describing them. Because of how me and my guests had been describing the films, people in that other universe were saying that this was all an improvised comedy podcast, which, listening back, I can totally get why they believe that. A lot of weird stuff happened in that first year, and I even met my other self from that other universe, who pops in from time to time, for better or worse. And now, in the year 2023, this podcast continues, still recapping and reviewing movies and sometimes some other things that got delayed or cancelled in that other universe. New episode Saturdays, every other week, unless I decide otherwise for some special reason, or whatever. You are listening to Delayed Replay, Season 4. Hey everyone, so before the show starts, just want to give a heads up that after the discussion of Avatar 3, uh, there will be uh, some non-spoiler thoughts from both me and Greg about the creator, and then uh, general thoughts from me about Rebel Moon. And But yeah, Greg has since watched the movie, and seems like he really liked it, gave it 4 out of 5 stars on Letterboxd. Uh, says it reminded him more of Seven Samurai than of Star Wars. And, um, yeah, maybe I'll link his review in the show notes. Um, he did have some gripes with the effects, but anyway, there will be a little discussion of those in the episode. And then after all that, uh, my other self will give non-spoiler review of What If Season 2, and then non-spoiler thoughts on Wonka, and then spoiler thoughts on Wonka. So without further delay, enjoy the show. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Delayed Replay, that podcast where we recap every movies that got delayed in that other universe but came out on time in our universe. I'm your host, Stephen Schinder, and joining me once again for another film discussion, uh, talking about the third Avatar movie, Avatar the Seed Bearer. It is Greg. Oh, also, happy belated birthday, Greg. <laughs> Did you watch anything special for your birthday? Um, I didn't watch anything specifically for my birthday. Right, apart watched... from this movie, obviously. <laughs> I watched Thanksgiving. Oh, that's was... a month too late. Like, that's illegal. <laughs> they could even came up with a better title. They could just gave it, like, Thanksgiving. Like, I moved out of there just called Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the sequel's going to be, like, Christmas or something. I, I've been hearing mixed things about it. Like, how much did you enjoy it? Um, I thought I found it was very gory, obviously, because it's an Eli Eli Roth movie, so it's kind of what you'd expect. Oh, yeah, but, the the cabin fever ho- hostel yeah. guy, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, it's literally like a Scream movie just pasted into Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, I remember reading your Letterboe XD review about <laughs> saying that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was 
yeah, bloody cat was called Dewey. I was like, well, you kind of, <laughs> you kind, kind of solidified that when you did that. <laughs> well, hey, uh, at least they did name the cat Doofy, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Scary oh, movie. Okay. Oh whatever, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah um, I watched Scary Movie first. So when I watched Scream, I was like, oh, I know who the killer is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you were wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's Dewey the whole time. I'm like, oh, it's not Dewey. Yeah. I mean, Dewey does look too innocent, to be fair. So he does, like, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, what what a character. <laughs> but, yeah, so we're talking um, Avatar, the seed bearer. I, I feel like if they had delayed this film you know taken more time to sit with the title maybe they would have realized you know what this is kind of a terrible title let's go with something else um i think that's what's going on in that other universe but yeah like there's a plot reason they named it this but it's a really silly title overall do you want to elaborate on that no <laughs> yeah, the David Lynch thing. Uh, okay, so the plot, some time has passed since the end of the second movie. I think they say it's been like, uh, how how many years do they say it's been? Like, I think it was like five years or something, right? They're just yeah. building. So yeah, like this comes back to being normal by now. Yeah, so five years later, it's 2171, I think. So the Navi have been rebuilding, but the humans are, like, still around. Like, there's been, like, a back and forth between them. Like, we kind of begin with a montage of the progress of the war between them. And for a moment, it looks like the Navi are finally in the safe, like, in the green. But then the humans attack again full force and just devastate a lot of their land again. And... It really does feel Mandalore, like they just can't catch a break, you know? Yeah, I mean, they came in with, like, tanks and, like, nuclear weapons, and you're like, these people don't even have guns. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I also feel like one of the reasons that, I guess this is an out-of-universe reason, that they decided to devastate, like, the Pandora landscape is that people were drawing comparisons between how it looks and how these paintings by uh, one of my favorite artists, Roger Dean, uh, has made. I feel like James Cameron was like, okay, I want people to stop making comparisons, so I'll make sure that the landscape is destroyed here. Um, But the devastation kind of ends up looking like the works of some other famous artist uh w- which artist was this um i think it was banksy like it was <laughs> <laughs> yeah it looks very reminiscent of banksy uh art yeah you know you've got the um it's very like some white rocks and yeah uh the blood like uh, i'm surprised they showed like this but like there's a blood in the shape of a heart like in one of the banksy paintings and uh, there's one that looks like colorful rain against a white rock. It's really weird that they went this direction. It's, it's also because of the nuclear fallout as well. Like how do the the rain fall, and like the yeah. kids kids of the the weapons. Like mm. I mean, it's not like 
it's an only thing he could do. But yeah, um, yeah, I gotta wonder if Banksy. I guess James Cameron figured, well, Banksy doesn't want to reveal uh, his or their identity or whatever, so I'll be in the clear. So <laughs> kind of a loophole there, but yeah, Pandora looks pretty barren. Uh, like much of it looks barren. So like the Navi and, you know, Jake Sully and company are like, you know what? We got to figure out like how to replant everything. So they come up with this plan to sneak into the RDA base and steal a ship so that they can go get uh, this uh, legendary seed from one of the other Pandora moons that would supposedly replenish the land. Um, what'd you think of how they went about breaking into the base? Uh, it was literally just a Mission Impossible thing. Like, have you seen um, the chicken, oh, chicken nugget? What's it called? Oh, Dawn of the Nugget. <laughs> yeah, chicken run Dawn of the Nugget, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I just saw the chicken nugget. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was very reminiscent to that movie, which is obviously very rem- reminiscent to other espionage type things. But like, you can clearly see that like, they're all trying to do it like stealthily. And not, I think they made they made it to a point where they wouldn't kill any, like not not like civilians, but like just normal workers like they said they wouldn't kill any any of them yeah because there are some people there who are just doing it because it's their job and it's like they're not directly hurting the navi but it, it kind of felt like james cameron was trying to say something about you know people in the real world like work for these shady companies but sometimes it's just because they need to make money to make ends meet and they're not thinking too much about um like what the company does um if that makes sense yeah uh so they sneak in and you know as they're going through the base trying to get to the ship there was this video game that came out between these two movies and it's kind of it's called Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, and in our universe, it came out a bit earlier. But the overall plot is pretty much the same. You know, it follows the same Navi characters, but it takes place like around the time of the second movie in our universe. But here, they see that video game in the base, and it, that's when we get the reveal of like, oh, the the RDA like. They never cared about an Obtanium. They just wanted to, like, get as much footage of Pandora as possible to make money selling these, like, super high-tech video games about Pandora. So, (laughs) I guess Frontiers of Pandora is a video game within the movies. (laughs) Yeah, because half expecting it to be, like, a Ubisoft thing. Because, like, basically, obviously, the avatar thing is like you gain control of another body but of it but in like like assassin's creed you go back in time and live as if you're someone else but obviously you can't do anything in their body so maybe the rda are like trying to merge avatar and assassin's creed where you can like become like 
Jake Sully if you wanted to. <laughs> like, like, oh, look at this. You can become a Na'vi if you, if you, pay, if you give us loads of money. <laughs> yeah, they even have Michael Fassbender as one of the video game developers here, you know, giving him a second chance at a video game related thing. <laughs> yeah, because you were so well as an AI last time. <laughs> God, AI. <laughs> Yeah, it also turns out that like he himself is one of the androids from the Alien franchise because, again, apparently Avatar and Alien are in the same universe because they're under Disney. <laughs> but yeah, he has a different name here because he's a different android, but based off the same human. Yeah. Uh, what was his name here? I think it was Timothy. Yeah, Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we get this uh fight between jake and his fam and this android and uh eventually they like behead him and there's like disgusting milk everywhere or whatever because oh that's blue milk because disney and star wars <laughs> oh yeah they made it blue because yeah because star wars and also like avatar blue yeah <laughs> Um, so they successfully steal a ship and go to this other moon, which on the surface, it has like an Arctic looking terrain. And they're like, how can the seed be around here? And so um, what do you think of the way they like, what do you think of this quest that they were on? Like how, how they um, explored this moon and whatnot? There's lots of hiking and everything, so they had to like, they had like a compass, and they realized that the seed was like heavily magnetic, so they're like trying to trying to find the source, but then they realized it's like really deep down, so they had to basically do what the RDA was doing, and start a mining operation on a moon, so they're becoming the villains of the movie. Yeah, they see it in the eyes of the aliens that live here who are like some rabbit looking like they look like a mix between Navi and rabbits, but they also look like claymation, like they look like they're made of clay and whatnot. Um, and eventually they figure out, oh, these people, you know, they dig. And so the seed is like somewhere underground, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because as they get lower down, they see all these um, remnants of other Navi from from the past when they have to try and find it. So it's like they haven't, they're not, they weren't the first ones who tried to to find the seed. Yeah, like it felt very, you know, I've been playing Skyrim again recently, and I know I'm playing Skyrim in 2023. Like, go figure, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, it very much gave me those treasure hunting vibes and how sometimes you'll see like a dead body and you'll like loot the corpse or whatever. Like they were digging the pockets trying to see if there were any useful items. Um, what'd you think of what they ended up finding? Right, they found like, um, not like videotapes, but like those, those like glass things they'd use to to watch watch stuff on and yeah they watched a couple of videos of like these like 
like different alien that was um, coming after them because they were getting closer and closer to the seed. That was like it's like a defense mechanism where the seed would like call call towards these these monsters. Yeah, and these monsters like they have like um what's it called? They they have like a link to the seed so they look like they are made of rock and whatnot but they also have like these really sharp teeth and you know they're moving so fast i was kind of hard to see them did you have that same problem as well yeah yeah you couldn't really follow what's going on at one point you know one of the kids like you know what well the sons gets injured and it's like, wait, is he gone or it's like, is he just injured? And so it got really confusing, like this whole sequence here. And I get that they were going for like an immersion thing, like, oh, this is what's like being stuck in a cave. But I was getting really annoyed because like this is supposed to be like they advertise this as a visual spectacle. But here, like you can barely see a thing. And it's like super frustrating. Yeah, it's gone from being like those falling underwater scenes to being very cramped. And it's like, well, what are you trying to show us here? You know? Yeah, I, I kind of get the vibe that, you know, because they decided to release every other year instead of like taking more time with it, that there was like some effects work that they couldn't quite uh complete to the fullest so that's why they have dark scenes like this to sort of like cut corners and whatnot yeah probably to save budget for the next film so probably get more spectacle in the next one or they take their break with this one yeah maybe so they get to this stream and like if you stand in it too long it'll freeze you up as evident by uh the frozen corpses that we see in this stream so there's like a whole situation there but eventually they get to like the the magnetic thing that they're looking for and they realize it's like part of the rest of the moon and so like they have this reveal where it's like oh shoot the entire moon like underneath the surface is a seed because they see like all the vegetation in this place and it's like the only way to plant it is by crashing it into our own moon <laughs> yeah the way they have to try to think about how they're going to do that like they saw like this like this knight armor like embedded in the in the ground and they realized that it was like the people who like created it but like were the ones who forged the the area and kept kept the seed the seed safe and un, and that of like bad not like bad people's hands but like where it could use for for other purposes because they, they realize that the seed doesn't only create but also destroys so they use the the night but one of the kids put the night armor on just just for just for the giggles and then they realize that it's like a really powerful weapon and they decided oh yeah we, we could use this to like 
blow up the uh, the moon and send the seed down to Pandora. Yeah, because apparently this night armor, you know, they look at these like uh, hieroglyphics and whatnot. And it turns out this knight that it used to belong to or whatever was called the seed bearer. And so, uh, you know, the name of whoever like forged this place and uh, apparently like according to the this legend or whatever, uh, this place was forged as like, you know, to keep things peaceful between the the cold part on the surface and the hot part in the core. So there, there's definitely like a lot of magic at play here. But yeah, what what'd you think of the sequence of events that uh, came about after like they were like debating like whether or not they should like really do this? Obviously, you had um, Jake Sully's wife, uh, Nate, Nate, <laughs> Nate Terry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was like, "Oh yeah, we, we definitely shouldn't shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be destroying this ecosystem." And then yeah, very environmental message yeah. here. And then you have Jake Sully, who was obviously part of the the army, whatever they were called. He was like, "Oh yeah, but we got to save Pandora." So they they like got into a huge fight. And then the kids were like, oh, my God, uh, stop fighting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're, like, worried about their parents getting divorced. <laughs> They're like, you would take the kids for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they had to throw in that line about Christmas because this came out around Christmas. <laughs> Is the Avatar holiday special? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they they have this argument and eventually like what the kid who was like wearing the armor was like, you know what? Screw this. So, like he throws a tantrum and is like uh, just decides to like go through with like throwing this moon against Pandora. And it's like, mm, I'm not sure about that sequence of events here like he's doing this because he's upset like i feel like this could have used another rewrite personally <laughs> yeah it destroys a moon because of a tantrum <laughs> what is bob what is poor rabbits <laughs> yeah but um w- when the moon you know as it's about to crash into Pandora and, and this moon has a name, right? What was the name of this moon? I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was Arthur. I think that's what the, the moon was called. Oh yeah, it was called Arthur. Yeah, because it was like the Arthurian. <laughs> yeah, really leaning into the mythologies because like Pandora is from like Greek mythology, I think. So I guess might as well branch out, but. Yeah, like, as the moon's about to crash, uh, you know, the family gets together and they're like, no matter what happens, we are a family. And they do, like, this cheesy, like, uh, hug thing, like, before the crash. You'll stare into the camera and you'll say family. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But as it crashes into Pandora, like, there's, like, a little bit of destruction, but then very quickly like it the tone kind of shifts and it looks like the two moons are merging together and so we see like everything sort of flying around and it's like sort of blending the ecosystems together to create 
a new moon and a new bunch of ecosystems. So what did you think of this weird sequence here? I think it was long. It was painfully long, I think. Yeah, that, this that was... this whole sequence was an hour long. <laughs> like that was just where all the visual budget went through. It was like all the it's all the simulations of these two moons coming together and all these new life forms appearing. It was like watching like Genesis or something. Yeah, the band Genesis <laughs> with Peter Gabriel and later Phil Collins. <laughs> it kind of felt to me like James Cameron was trying to do the Titanic thing where, you know, in that movie you see like a disaster go on for like, I don't know how long it was, but it felt like... It was at least an hour, I think. Yeah, it was at least an hour, but the pacing and because of like what's going on, it's like it doesn't feel... But like it feels important, you know, as you're watching it. But here it kind of feels like he's trying to do that, but with an event that looks like a disaster, but turns out to be the opposite of a disaster. Um, but overall, um, yeah, I don't know. It felt like they were trying to use the music to keep people invested during this whole sequence. So what would you think of the music here? Uh, I can't remember who did the the music for these movies i think it was uh for this one i think it was simon franklin yeah uh, who took over from james horner oh okay yeah you could definitely hear some james horner influences in there because i don't remember much of simon frank franklin <laughs> i don't know what he's done i did either seven i don't remember seven for the music though <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I vaguely remember Sevenin had like synth stuff here and there, but yeah, I don't remember the music very much. They did start um, Spectre. So, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh he I guess he helped out James Horner on the amazing Spider-Man. Okay. Um but yeah, the music I feel like it did feel like this was you know, it had a James Horner influence, but there were also hints of like maybe the type of music they were originally considering for Avatar before, like, whatever the heck happened, that that one video, the most ironic soundtrack of all time, or whatever it's called, says, happened. But yeah, the music, I, I feel like it was kind of all over the place here, and um, there wasn't really that much to latch onto, in my opinion, and it just felt like, at this point, the movie was kind of just going having its head up its own butt and just showcasing the changing scenery just for the heck of it like just to showcase the effects um and some parts kind of look unfinished because again there are only a couple years between these two films so yeah um but what'd you think of what was going on with the with the rda you know the human faction and the colonel avatar guy while this is all happening yeah because he's still on pandora isn't he he's he's on his like his little base and he's just seeing all the stuff like come raining down and he's just like what the hell are they doing um but like he doesn't really do anything about it though like he, he just stands there and like come up and he gets like all his other like all those all those mech suits. He sends them all out to like 
try and create a force field or something. Like the um they like can combine to form like some huge shield. Like defend the base from all these debris. Yeah. So for a bit it's like he's the villain again, but there is a moment where he's like, you know what, if the moons can merge into one thing and become a new thing, and if I am a human in, inside a Navi avatar body, uh, I'm two different things, but maybe now I can be a new thing. Um, and so there is a moment where he tries to like tell Jake and his fam that he's changed and he's a new man now but then they just like imprison him because like they don't trust him <laughs> right away the darkness is imprisoning him <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it, it looks like you know like there was a, this battle between the navi and the humans but at the end of this thing it feels like there's a chance for growth on Pandora once again. You know, we see, like, some new environments. You know, there are, like, some palm trees. Uh, there are some sunflowers. Uh, and there is, like, this little comment that one of the characters says about, you know, back on... Well, I think Jake says, like, back on Earth, like, there were some cities or people would take plants from other countries and plant them there. And it was kind of weird. So they kind of make a comparison there, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know where they go from here. Like, I don't know if this is the end of this particular story or cause they said that the fourth and fifth one might be prequels, but I kind of wonder if maybe they'll like blend like, Maybe there will be flashback stories as the current day stories continuing. So I'm curious to see to see like what happens from here on out. You know, because oh, I don't think it like killed everyone, did it? It was just um, I think some people tried to escape whilst it was happening, but um, yeah, it was pretty much destroyed, and you had like a new ecosystem, but it wasn't really safe for the for Navi, all the people, all the humans, they didn't really succeed in anything, all because this kid got angry at his parents for nearly divorcing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, the air is kind of barely breathable, so they're trying to figure out how to adapt to the new environment, and, like, some humans, like, try to escape, like, through the ships, and some are left behind, so it's, like, it's kind of an unknown factor at the moment, like where they go from here. Yeah, and I don't know if James Cameron is trying to give up a vibe of uncertainty, and maybe that's supposed to be like an artistic ending. Um, but it was really weird. Um, yeah. Oh, also, I forgot to mention, like in the tunnel like you know when they saw like the dead bodies and whatnot you could also see a xenomorph skeleton and a predator skeleton oh, yeah i forgot to mention this <laughs> <laughs> i didn't really recognize them until like after the fact I was like, right oh. <laughs> yeah i had to like uh look at one of those articles where they have like a blurry screenshot and have like a red circle around the skeletons <laughs> see here's xenomorph 
but yeah, because it's after this, maybe they do like what happens on Earth, I guess. Because yeah, it's it's a big question mark. Because uh, like we said, they were trying to make a big damn video game, but now it's like, well, where are they going to now? Um, also, there's like a brief shot during like the one hour sequence you mentioned where uh some of the skeletons uh from the tunnel kind of get a little rejuvenated and we see like the predator and xenomorph skeleton um like there's a bit of rejuvenation there but they cut away before we see like what actually happens so i kind of get the sense that james cameron was forced to throw those in because like you know, D- Disney and or Searchlight Studios or whatever really wants to like make profit off of those IPs, you know? Yeah, because they have the Freddy Alvarez alien movie coming out soon, don't they? Yeah, Alien Romulus. Yeah, and then they're going to have Alien Remus after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the two brothers, yeah. Um, and then the alien Roman. <laughs> yeah, the, there there is a tree that grows that kind of looks, you know, it, it's a black tree and it looks xenomorph esque. So I kind of wonder if there's like alien blood in that thing. Um, and there's also like a predator blood green one that grows. So like I really wonder what they're going for with these new environments here. <laughs> Yeah, not sure. <laughs> it's just going hodgepodge of weird stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, the predator uh, plant thing, it looks like a, like one of those Venus flytrap plants, but kind of shaped like a predator head. Uh, yeah, it's got the fangs and stuff. So I guess this is a lot that the Navi and all the inhabitants on Pandora are going to have to deal with now that. <laughs> It's a new world. <laughs> it didn't, like, Jake or um, Natiri, didn't they, like, try to decide a new name as they were, like, sh- sh- standing in their ship looking upon the destruction? Didn't they come up with that name, I think? Oh, the yeah, for moon. the new moon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, they called it... Um, they decided to name it Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Keith Moon. <laughs> oh no, not Keith Moon. Yeah, the drummer from the Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was Jake's idea, of course, because like he's, he's apparently big... he's yeah apparently he's a Who fan out of nowhere, not mentioned at all in the previous movies. <laughs> he's a Whovian as well. <laughs> oh yeah, he's a hooligan and a Whovian. <laughs> So they're called hooligans. Yeah, hooligans are the Who fans, and Whovians are Doctor Who fans. Um, although my friend, Di- my friends Dylan and Keon, prefer to use hooligans for Doctor Who fans. But <laughs> yeah. So do you have anything else you want to say about this movie before we give our final thoughts? I think it's a bit of a downgrade from the second movie. I'm not sure what's the end goal was. To be fair. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. Like, like as it kept going, it got progressively, like, it progressively decreased in quality. And 
it's still kind of watchable, but also like I don't really know about some of these story decisions and yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of all over the place. Um, so like, what's your score out of ten? A unit of measurement for that score and final thoughts and whatnot. Uh, yeah, it's just yeah, the, the movie is a bit of a downgrade from the second movie. Probably a bit, a bit rushed. I could thought about the the story a bit more. Um, but the acting in the CGI for the Navi and stuff is, is it's always going to look look good. But then you had the one hour sequence of a moon crashing into another moon and like ecosystems and stuff and it was like well you did a na- nature documentary with the previous movie and now you have this weird biblical thing I don't know um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably give the movie a 7 out of 10 blue milk yeah, I think you gave the previous one a 7, too. So maybe this is like a very slight downgrade. And unless your opinion of the second one rose a little bit. But yeah, I think this one, for me, I'm going to go a bit lower. Because, you know, sitting there for three hours wasn't as fun as one would hope. And yeah, it just, like, some of the effects were great, but others were just... You could really tell that they were cutting corners and yeah, I, I don't know like what they're really going for with these next couple movies. So uh, I think where I'm sitting, I'm going to give a six out of ten Arctic moons. <laughs> Arctic moon keys. Yeah, Arctic moon keys. Yeah, we forgot to mention there were like some uh, monkey creatures there yeah <laughs> yeah i think i think i rewatched the second movie fairly recently so yeah it's definitely gone up a bit i think since my last last viewing okay so yeah uh, thanks for joining me again greg um well I, I have something else that i want to like discuss real quickly but uh so i know you already saw this but i finally got around to watching the creator since it was on dizzy plus and hulu um oh, what were your thoughts on the movie for listeners who don't know obviously because garth edwards did uh oh what did he do he did Godzilla. Um... <laughs> <laughs> i'm thinking of the wrong person no he he did rogue one oh, yeah well. yeah he, he did rogue one okay there you go yeah because um, yeah, when I was watching the creator, I was like, "Oh, some stuff is very eerily similar to Rogue One." <laughs> so I think he just like made the same movie again, but like you had obviously the callback to um, that planet in Rogue One. Yeah, Scarif. Scarif was one of the one of the destinations. Um, I thought, like, given the budget of the movie, it looked a lot better than the recent Marvel stuff did. Mm, yeah. Like, the action looked really good, and um, I think the performances and what they were trying to say came across quite well. Yeah. It definitely felt like, to me, I couldn't help thinking, like, this is what Rogue One would be if it were more like 
more recent Star Wars things where they decide, oh, let's give the guy a kid to protect. Um, (laughs) And uh, I guess this is something that I didn't know going in, but it, it does kind of, I guess it has a message about oppressed minorities, but I guess you kind of piece that together as you watch. But also, it was also a kind of, I would say it was awkward that like the robots were called AI. But again, like Gareth Edwards couldn't have known that uh, AI would be such a big issue with like AI mm-hmm. art and other things. So it's like a different kind of AI, but it did feel kind of awkward how it has like a, oh, could we get along with these AI robot things kind of message? Like, like I feel like if he had hindsight, he would have given the robots a different name. But yeah, overall, I thought it it looked really good. Um, I'm not sure how invested I was in the characters, like maybe not as much as I was hoping. Like after watching it, I was thinking, OK, I'm giving this an eight out of ten, but the more I think about it, the more I wonder, it, did I enjoy it that much? Is it more of a seven? Because I've since watched Rebel Moon, you know, the yeah. Zack Snyder movie. And I know you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, maybe after, soon, yeah. Yeah, maybe after you post your review, I'll like mention in the edit, like what you thought of it. But um, like Rebel Moon, I kept hearing it would be like terrible, but I, I found it watchable and it had my attention you know i was watching it i I can see how it looks like a copy of certain things like the ship in the beginning looks like the battle droid carrier in phantom menace um there's a farm planet or i guess farm moon really um and there's a cantina like and this was originally pitched as r an r-rated star wars movie so well but i was also kind of thinking about an episode of community i know you haven't watched this but there's an episode in season six where abed is trying to make his own sci-fi movie but his friends are like forcing him to rush it and it looks like a so bad it's good like low budget sci-fi movie obviously influenced by star wars (laughs) i kind of got those vibes here but it didn't look as low budget but still looked like a netflix movie in places because you can notice like the green screen and stuff i guess um the robots looked cool i wish there were more robots but maybe they'll be in part two and um like when this was pitched as a star wars movie this was before the disney buyout and then once disney bought it zach snyder was like okay there's no chance i'll do r-rated star wars movie um I feel like even before the buyout, George Lucas probably would not have wanted to do an R-rated Star Wars. Um, And this is PG-13, the version that's on Netflix, but apparently there will be a director's cut at some point, uh, maybe before part two gets released. Um, But I do think if this had been a Star Wars movie, it would not have been rated R, but maybe it would have looked slightly better with the effects, but the fight sequences might not have looked the way that they do. Like, even if you take out the Zack Snyder slow motion um, motif, like there's still stuff in the action sequences. that I can't really imagine would have been exactly as they were in a Star Wars movie like 10 years ago or whatever. Um, 
but uh, I do kind of agree with people who say it might have been better received as a video game. Yeah, uh, those are thoughts off the top of my head. Maybe I'll add a little bit more if I think more in the edit, but that's pretty much where I'm coming from. Like, it's maybe a 7 out of 10. It's uh, it's watchable, at least. It's kind of a comfort food movie if you just want to put something on. And um, it doesn't have as much that frustrates me. There are a couple ick moments. Um also, the villains are very obviously <laughs> supposed to be like World War II Nazis, which I don't know how I feel about that. It's, you know, it's um, fine if it's a, an actual World War II movie, but it just feels kind of over the top and whatever. So, yeah, it's pretty much my take on the whole thing. I do want to mention one thing about the creator. When I was reading up about it after I watched it, I, I found out that Gareth Edwards wanted to have AI do the score in the vein of Hans Zimmer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but like as he was doing it, he was like, oh no, I need to get Hans Zimmer to do it. <laughs> so he was actually going to have an AI-generated Hans Zimmer score for the movie. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so if he actually did that, I would not want to know the backlash he would have received. <laughs> yeah. Oh, was there anything you want to plug, like the society or whatever? Uh, no, not really. Don't need anything anymore, do we? <laughs> okay. All right, well, I'll include the link for it in the show notes anyway, but yeah. Sure. All right, so that's it for this one. Uh, thanks for joining me again, and without further delay, have a good day. All right, so now the plugs in a moment, but in the meantime... Uh, just wanted to touch back on the Avatar music. So, yeah, apparently the original intent was for the music to sound alien, and I guess it would have derived stuff from various cultures, but then after some work was done on that, James Cameron decided, you know what, this sounds too alien, let's make it more palatable for the Western audiences. So, here in this third Avatar movie, uh, there are hints of that alien feel, but it kind of doesn't go far enough or reach high enough heights. So that's the whole thing. Um, but yeah, regarding the creator and Rebel Moon again, um, uh, there's not really much more I can add, I don't think. Um, you know, the creator... I don't know if I explained it well enough, but I, I feel like it touches on xenophobia, but it uses AI as the sort of um, avatar for that, if you will. And again, I'm not really sure how successful that is. And Rebel Moon, again, it feels very familiar, but it's, again, it's a comfort food movie. Uh, part two, I heard there's going to be director's cut of part one which i don't know why there need to be multiple versions but i guess people will see um and then part two in spring i think it's coming out uh, it's called the scar giver uh so part one was called what was it was it child of fire or something uh let's see rebel moon rebel moon Okay, it was a child of fire. 
Um, so yeah, part two will be called the Scar Giver, which the cadence of that kind of sounds like the Seed Bearer, weirdly enough. Um, and yeah, so I'll provide the plugs, and then my other self will give uh, non-spoiler reviews of Marvel's What If Season 2 and the new Wonka movie, well, new for his universe, and it's different over there from how it turned out here. And if he provides a spoiler for that movie, he'll give a warning. But yeah, you can follow me at Steven Schinder on Instagram, Twitter, Threads. Um, Twitter, or I guess X, has been kind of better on, on my end recently in terms of, you know, it still has its problems, obviously, but the algorithm has been showing me some really good Doctor Who discussion. Uh, really loved the Christmas special of the church on Ruby Road. Such an amazing intro to the 15th Doctor and Ruby as a team. But yeah, if you want to hear more in-depth thoughts about that check out trust your doctor it's a doctor who podcast over at decorativevegetable.com and i've been sending emails to my friend dylan there and uh yeah if the emails get read toward the end um i also forgot to mention ipc intergalactic peace coalition uh check that out because the latest episode uh, which uh, I meant to give a shout out to this on the previous episode, but forgot. Um, they talked about uh, Godzilla minus one and the state of Marvel and a little bit of Doctor Who, like very broad thoughts on that as well. But I also had a little cameo in one of the barbecue watch segments there. So check that out. Um, you can also go to stevenschinder.com and Steve, did I already say Steven Schinder's storytelling on Facebook? Maybe I did. Uh, find my standalones and stepping stones novels uh, over on Amazon. There's two of them so far. And you can also find me on Goodreads, Letterboxd, and you can email this podcast at delayedreplaypodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on The Who. You know, their music, I guess. And you can also find me on Yes Shift, where I actually talk about music with my dad. Um, mainly the band Yes and people associated with it and whatnot. It's on a little bit of a break right now, but we'll be back in the new year sometime in January. So check that out. And I think that's everything on my end so without further delay here's the other steven with his reviews hey everyone this is the other steven from that universe where things got delayed so broad general non-spoiler thoughts on marvel's what if season two i wasn't that excited by it it kind of felt like it was going through the motions and maybe kind of nostalgia bait here and there i think it picked up a bit maybe halfway through the season when it introduced a mohawk character named kahori and it was a really well done episode usually the art style for what if has been 
this strange thing where I simultaneously like and dislike it, but I was really enjoying how it looked in this episode. Maybe it's because of the setting of this one. It feels like there's more that can be done with it, whereas with the other episodes where they're basing it off of some movie settings, they kind of feel confined a bit, I guess. I also really enjoyed the episode about Hela, um, and again, these are a couple episodes later in the season. Uh, Ad- Captain Carter is featured in this season as well, so it's cool to see her again. But I didn't really care much for the overarching element, uh, you know, the overarching threads in this season. You know, I, I almost feel like maybe these what-if scenarios don't take big enough swings and for the most part like I said the Kahori stuff was really cool but I also kind of wish that she had gotten her own movie uh, instead like because let's face it not as many people I don't think are watching this show as much as they watch the theatrical films um I, I could be wrong and if i am like feel free to correct me but i feel like people are less likely to check out you know if they're fans of the movies they all all of them might not check out the animated series here especially if it's like what if scenarios and uh people say they want connectivity and these kind of don't completely connect and it's weird because you know audiences have been saying they want the movies to feel more connected as of late but then got upset when the marvels was connected to other things so it's real weird but overall i think season two was kind of average overall there were standout moments here and there uh maybe i'd maybe give it like a seven out of 10, I would kind of zone out a little bit during the action sequences, and there was plenty of action. But yeah, that's pretty much where I stand on What If Season 2. Now, the other big thing that I watched that came out for me on my end film-wise was Wonka. And growing up, I never read the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory book or its sequel um but i did watch willy wonka and the chocolate factory and charlie and the chocolate factory and i really enjoyed those growing up um with a slight preference to charlie and the chocolate factory i know i'm the minority there but i like how the oompa loompas sang different music styles in that one and the family message at the end so Uh, In the lead-up to this, I actually ended up having breakfast with family uh, over at IHOP, and they have this Wonka menu. They have these hovered chalk uh, pancake tacos or something, Uh, purple pancakes. They have, like, purple cream on them, and a couple other things, I think. Um, There's uh, French... I think French toast is one of the other items. I only really ended up 
getting the scrum diddlyumptious strawberry hot chocolate. Uh, as the name would imply, it's hot chocolate that's flavored like strawberry. And the whipped cream had some golden flaky things on top, so that was really good. I'd had French toast earlier that day, uh, made by a roommate, so I already had a lot of sweet stuff in my system and thought getting some of these other things would have been too much, so just had the hot chocolate along with an entree that wouldn't feel like too much. So that was really the only Wonka-inspired item I tried, and I think I'm pretty much good with that. Uh, so the movie, you know, I'd heard some positive reception about this movie. You know, it's Wooly Wonka, it's an origin story, it's a separate universe from the other movies. Uh, Timothy, and again, not non-spoiler thoughts first... Timothy Chalamet is pretty magnetic as Willy Wonka. Uh, there are some musical moments, and it's kind of fun seeing him dance around and seeing people's reaction to that. He is a magician here, like explicitly says he's a magician. And I like how his a case that has all his ingredients and the candies, the treats, uh, how that looks... Willy Wonka is a character where you can get away with not explaining how all these things are made. Like, yes, he does explain, oh, this silver lining chocolate was made with a cloud from this place, but you don't, you know, you don't get into the science of how that works, and you don't need to, really. Um, he does get milk from a giraffe. Uh, your mileage may vary on that sequence uh, I'm mixed on it myself so Willie feels very naive in this version and Chalamet is great at conveying that but it does get frustrating at a couple moments where he feels too trusting of others and uh, it it just it kind of feeds into a subplot that I'm like a characteristic of his that I'm not really sure was needed, which later I'll get into spoilers and I'll talk about, I guess. Um, the supporting characters I feel like didn't really stand out as much as Chalamet did. It most of them kind of felt like they were just there. Uh, there's only really one unfamiliar song that sticks out to me thinking back to the movie it's been a few days and yeah like if i can only remember one of the newer songs and i'm not sure if that's a good sign um i i said unfamiliar because they do include familiar music it like little motifs here and there, and every time that happened, I was like, oh, come on, like, it, it feels like, you know, this movie is its own universe, but it also feels like it wants so badly to be the Gene Wilder movie, or to remind people of the Gene Wilder movie, hence how the Hugh Grant Oompa Loompa looks, which I feel like there was, like, some setup there that didn't really 
pay off as much as one might expect. Um, I also feel like, you know, uh, okay, so uh, the movie overall, I, I feel like is, you know, it has some nostalgia bait, even though it really should have tried harder to be its own thing. So I came out of this thinking uh, 6 out of 10 Wonka bars, but that thinking back to it, I'm like, it's actually 5, so maybe I'm at like 5.5 right now. So, yeah, that's not a very good score there. Uh, pretty mediocre. And, uh, again, you know, Roald Dahl, the author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, he said some problematic things in his life. His family in recent years apologized for the things that he said. But even without Roald Dahl around, it still kind of feels like there's problematic stuff in this movie. And I don't know if it's just stuff that I noticed that, like, I, I don't know, like, it's just, I haven't really seen many people talk about this stuff. I've had a conversation with a couple people here and there, but I haven't seen a whole lot surrounding this. So this still, this movie still feeds into the white savior trope if you really look at, like, how things turn out. Um, I guess I should get into spoilers now that I'm going into, like, more detail. So, yeah, that's my verdict. You got my score. It's mediocre. Um, I, I can kind of understand why people love it, but it just, yeah, for the reasons I'll go into, I just, like, couldn't enjoy it that much. So I'm going into spoilers now. Okay, so... Um, one of the things, you know, with the Oompa Loompas, uh, talked about how they were depicted in the book, and it was very problematic, and again, I've never read the book, but I've seen articles about it in the illustrations, and, you know, yikes. Um, there's also an element of, you know, w with the original Oompa Loompas, it kind of brought to mind slavery and colonialism and stuff like that but here in this movie I was wondering if there would be an alleviation of that sort of thing like really trying to do Oompa Loompas better and like their relationship with Willy and we only get the one Oompa Loompa but pretty much they have like a little rivalry thing like, stealing from each other. Well, in Willie's case, he unintentionally stole from the Oompa Loompa Island. And at the end of the movie, when Willie is deciding to open his shop, or I guess found a factory at a castle or something, and look, they even throw in an Oompa Loompa song and pure imagination... And it feels so forced and unearned. Uh, the Oompa Loompa is persuaded to work with him as a taste tester. And that's pretty much all we get of the Oompa Loompas. Like, we see a few more in the flashback where uh, this Oompa Loompa is supposed to 
be guarding the cocoa beans that Willie takes and the other Oompa Loompas, like, basically banish him until he can, like, pay off his debt by taking stuff from Willie. But I was kind of expecting that maybe those other Oompa Loompas would come back at the Gosh, I feel like I've been saying Oompa Loompa so much and I hate it. Um, like, I thought they would all come back at the end and maybe we would see that uh, their working conditions are really good, like everyone gets paid and maybe they're not the only workers. Maybe Willie uh, works alongside them, really p pulls his weight and uh, you could get the other human characters also working with him. Uh, but I guess that also wouldn't be the Willy Wonka character that people know. I think people forget how kind of villainous and creepy he comes off in other interpretations and how he hates children from the looks of it, whereas here he is very helpful toward children. Well, particularly toward Noodle, who's this um, black girl who is obligated to serve the owners of this inn, I guess it is, um, and she tries to help Willie not uh, be binded under contract to serve them as well, and tells Whispers to read the small print, and he overhears that, and it looks like he's reading the contract, but then it turns out they give Willie this characteristic where it turns out, oh, he can't read. And it's like, wait, why did this need to be a thing? And the, well, I guess it's so that he, uh, to get around, you know, of the contract and just having him be in this servitude type thing. Um, it's to drive the plot, I guess, to get round, you know, people saying, oh, the plot hole is he didn't read the contract, you know. Um, so I don't know if maybe something could have been done better there. But yeah, this girl who helps him, uh, her name is Noodle because uh, she has this little, um, this object from her parents that has the letter N on it. So uh, she thinks that because she thinks it's an N and that her name has to be an N name, like a name beginning with the letter N and later on it turns out it's a Z and it's like, why was this needed? And didn't people reading the script notice like how awkward this would kind of be? Um, and th there's another, um, you know, Slugworth, one of the villains, uh, he's black in this version and so I was like, oh, okay, so new interpretation. This could be interesting. Because, um, uh, but then once it got to a part where there's this line, you know, Noodle is told, oh, like you were, um, Slugworth wants to keep you from wreaking havoc in the streets, so you'll still work for us forever or whatever. And at that moment, I got kind of taken out of the movie because I was like, wait, did they make Slugworth black just so that this line delivered toward Noodle would not seem racist? And then 
as the movie progressed, I thought to myself, okay, surely they won't do the very easy thing of making Slugworth and Noodle related somehow, right? And then it turns out they were. Like, Slugworth is her uncle. Um, and like I said, the N is actually a Z. It stands for a Z name for one of her parents. And, like, I, I feel like this subplot, it's like, what even is this subplot? It's really weird. And, again, like, Willy Wonka, because of the movie and the people involved, and it feels like, you know, the people in the town and Willy Wonka saving the day, it kind of feels like there is a white savior thing going on here, which, you know, is also criticism that's been leveled at the Avatar movies, so, you know, it's it's a thing. Um, and so you know, watching the movie and then thinking it, uh, thinking back to, like, how I was processing certain moments during the movie, and then later after the fact, looking back at certain things and talking to a couple people, it ca it leaves a bad taste in my mouth, to be honest, and it feels like it doesn't feel sweet to me. It feels like very artificial sweetener, so... Um, yeah, I was not really into this movie and kind of sad that this was my last movie-going experience of the year. But hey, there's a new year coming, um, hopefully better movies. Um, I'm most excited for Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Like, I've been waiting years for that. So, yeah, those are my thoughts. Uh, hope you all enjoyed the holidays. And uh, without further delay, see you next year.